and welcome to Beckett Talks, the new podcast from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we'll be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. And it's time for Beckett Talks Research. I'm Dee, and each week I will be showcasing the interesting and innovative research community here at Leeds Beckett as part of this podcast series. In this week's podcast, we look back at an interview recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic with Professor Paul Gately from the Carnegie School of Sport. Professor Gately has led on a broad range of innovative obesity research from understanding the influence of obesogenic environments to the impact of high protein diets on obese children. All very relevant, but my first question must be, how did you get into this field of research? Um, so long story is in about 1989, I was I was an athlete and I was uh, I was not very well, so I took the summer off and uh, went to work on Camp America. Ended up getting dumped on a weight loss camp for children and really got fascinated by the subject. And I was doing a degree here at Leeds Beckett in sport and exercise science. And I, every year I'd go to the camp in America, learn about the issues, and then come back and then learn about the theory. In '95, I started my PhD. And then I got an academic post here in 98. And then from there on in, I kept a focus of childhood obesity, sort of drawing on that practice I'd done at the Weight Loss Camp in America, learning a lot of how not to do it in practice and aligning the theory. And then I've continued to sort of grow that work to where we are today with a sort of big portfolio of research and a big portfolio of practice really driving an agenda for change on the issue of childhood and now adulthood obesity as well. That sounds quite a direct path you've taken from where you were then to where you are now but what really interests you in this field? My interest in the subject is it's very complicated and I think what we tend to do is fall into well this person did this one thing wrong and that's the reason why they have a weight problem and and the problem with that is actually it's it's not true there are many different factors that drive obesity in children and adults the, the problem is, though, is for, for that child or that adult that's suffering with a weight problem, they often feel judged by that sort of reaction. Oh, they've eaten too much or they're too lazy. And that's the sort of common perception we have. And so I feel very passionate that we need to gr- improve the understanding of this issue such that we actually empower people and engage them rather than put them down and put them off. Because for me, if we tap into those sort of inner, uh, inner strengths, what we can enable them to do is lead a successful and healthy lifestyle and a happy lifestyle. Whereas the sort of mentality of a single solution, you've eaten too much or exercised too little, is very judgmental. And actually what it does is it sort of reinforces those behaviours rather than liberates the individual. And so for me, and part of our work is how do we do that at an individual level? And most of the early part of my career has been at that level. But as I've sort of progressed and become a professor, I've actually sort of looked at how do we do it at a bigger scale? So still focused on those individual behaviours and supporting individuals, but actually individuals live in a society. So where's the societal influences? What can we do to sort of change the environment, change the attitudes, change the way food is prepared and offered and activities prepared and offered, enabling that individual to lead a more healthy lifestyle? It sounds like people try to simplify this, but it's actually far more complicated than people give it credit for. What we know is that if we eat too much and exercise too little, we will gain weight. It is as simple as that. For every human on the planet, that is true. 
The problem is though, what influences those two behaviors is incredibly complicated. And there are thousands and thousands of things. We make thousands and thousands of decisions every single day. And it's in those thousands of decisions that we make every day that influence those two behaviors. And so within that, it is so complicated that we can't yet get to the answer, but it's about how do we appreciate those two behaviors, but the influences on them. And that's really the, 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 the nub of the work that I'm trying to do is trying to establish a stronger relationship and greater clarity between the influences on those two behaviors so we can help individuals, help you know, local authorities, help governments, help companies, all influence how they may shape their environments and their contributions to this issue. One of the things that I think is really interesting um, about this issue is we always put the emphasis on the individual, but actually there's a bigger role that society and our environment plays in it as well, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, we, we fundamentally, the, the sort of public and the, and the, and the narrative about uh, people living with obesity is that they made choices that influence their way. And that is true to a degree. But we all make choices because we live in an environment and, you know, in terms of how one gets to work in terms of the sort of, you know, you, you walk down the high street and it's right running a gauntlet of food outlets and takeaways. And even if you go into a clothes shop now, there's sort of sweets and chocolates right at the checkout. You know, so wherever anybody goes, there is food is available. Wherever we go, we're reducing those activities. And so the environment is, is particularly important in that. What's also important in my work is then the sort of emotional, social and psychological health, if you like, of people. Because for some people, they're able to run that sort of sweet gauntlet at a checkout and it has no influence on them. But if you're having a bad day and you're sort of feeling a bit overwhelmed or there's a number of factors gone in your life that you can't really handle, it may well be that that sort of emotional reaction is to grab some chocolate or it may well be that one knows they could, you know, walk into town versus get in the taxi they choose the taxi and so it's all about that emotional state that then enables or disenables our ability to respond to this sort of what we term now an obesogenic environment actually there's quite a lot of research going on saying and trying to understand why are people living with a normal weight in an environment that makes us suffer from obesity almost suggesting that it's the normal weight people have the problem so that's really interesting, isn't it? So it's almost like saying that the people with a normal weight are the abnormal group, for want of a better word. Because in any population across the planet, 60 to 70% of the population have a, are suffering with weight issues. So you've got 30% that haven't and don't. And what is it about that 30% that means that they're sort of immune to this obesogenic environment? One could argue that they're the ones with that are not responding to that environment in a normal way. Whereas the people with weight problems are responding to that, so we can we can look at it in very different ways. And I suppose what I'm what I'm trying to do in my work is trying to get people to rethink their sort of simplistic attitudes. You know, I'm not I'm not certainly not saying it's the normal weight people that have got a problem, but I'm equally not saying it's the people suffering with weight problems have got a problem. There are all these populations that are responding to an environment, responding to a set of social cues, and it's how we we work to support all of those people. Because, because what we want is a society is have fully functioning and, and, and people contributing to society in a positive way and leading a, a positive lifestyle. And at the moment, with 70% of people with weight problems, that will have impacts on their longevity, will have impacts on their mental, social, emotional and physical health. 
Of course, for me, therefore, we need to really work out how do we help them more effectively. Oh, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? And the more we talk about it, the more complex the issue seems. But if you had to address one aspect of your research only, what would that be? So for me, the, the, the most important thing for people to appreciate through my research is that we can do something about obesity, but we really need collective action to get there. And we really need to shift this sort of very negative mindset about individuals making choices to be unhealthy, because that is incredibly unhelpful. People don't like suffering with weight problems. And the work that we're trying to do around working with individuals and working on a societal level should begin to shift that environment so that people can feel happier, whatever their weight, even if they're suffering with weight problems, but they feel happier. That for me is a really positive outcome because being suffering with weight problems and being unhappy because society doesn't accept people with weight problems, that for me is a real big step change. And if that is my contribution, then that will be a great contribution to make. So how do you think we can go about changing the way we as a society view people with weight issues? We've got a, a social narrative which drives a cultural attitude and it's the cultural attitude for me that really needs shifting. I spent most of my career working with individuals and learning really the sort of the fundamentals of why they behave in the way they do. But I'm beginning to appreciate that, to translate that away from individuals and help the, the environment more conducive to support those individuals, I need a new skill set. And so collaborating with colleagues in our business school around communication, collaborating with colleagues in our computing school around sort of digital tools, collaborating with colleagues in our sort of built environment school, creating a new environment, are all things for me that are important steps in, the, in my journey. How do we move from that individual and how do we create that much more, uh, that environment that's much more conducive toward individuals leading a healthy and more positive lifestyle. It's interesting that we're thinking about all these ways that we can tackle obesity in the modern world, but is it a modern disease, obesity, or has it always been around and we've just never really noticed it before? So it's interesting to think of obesity as something that's happened in the last in the last sort of 20 or 30 years, but but actually there was a there was an article in the British Medical Journal in um, in 1925 that outlined the new epidemic for child health was obesity. And so that was over nearly 100 years ago now that the British Medical Journal were highlighting this as an issue. And yet we're still talking about it as a new phenomenon. It's not really, you know, throughout the development of our society, the weight of individuals has gradually got higher and higher and higher as our height has because we've got more food, we've got less, you know, and more options to sort of live a healthy lifestyle. So, so from that perspective... Uh, it isn't really a modern day phenomenon. If you were comparing to a thousand years ago, then yes, but, in, but it's certainly been around for, and we've been aware for, of it for over a hundred years. And do you think we're any closer now to tackling this issue in a more positive way? I think at the moment we have our head in the sands. It is a monumental issue that we are facing. And yet when I talk to policymakers, politicians, um, all levels of government, many levels of business and pretty much all levels of business, if you like, and at an educational level. So at a whole societal level, I would argue very, very strongly that most of those key agents for change have got their head in the sands. And so therefore, that's why my work is having to transfer from thinking about how, what do individuals do to sort of help the mindset of those individuals that have a massive contribution to make to this agenda helping them shape their attitudes in a way that they can then do their bit to tackle this problem of obesity.
The Carnegie School of Sport at Leeds Beckett University is one of the largest providers of sport in UK higher education. Recently investing £45 million in a new home for sport, the new building provides world-class sporting facilities and also acts as a hub for elite athletes, sports and industry partners. With courses in sport, exercise and health sciences, physical education, sports management and sports coaching, the school takes an interdisciplinary approach to teaching and research, enabling the students to graduate with the skills needed to succeed in an evolving sport and physical activity industry. So, if any of these subjects interest you, go to leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash CSOS for more information. Hello again, we are back here with Professor Paul Gately and I just want to change the emphasis slightly. You've worked and spoken to loads of people who battle obesity. How do you think this narrative affects individuals? I mean, I spent so much time with people and I always remember a story of a child that I worked with and, and he said that they say sticks and stones might break your bones but names will never hurt you, but names do hurt you because they scar you inside and that's the thing that stops you doing all the things you want to do. And so for me it's about reshaping that attitude and if we can sort of remove the sort of sticks and stones and those very negative attitudes around people suffering with obesity, we can liberate them and enable them to take on um, the challenge themselves because I think it's so counterproductive, the, the negative attitudes we have at the moment, which is, well, if we shout at them and tell them enough, they'll then sort themselves out. But actually what that does is completely does the opposite of what we're intending to do. And so just that one thing for me will be a profound mechanism to unlock people's own potential on this agenda. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because as a society, we're so PC in so many ways and wouldn't dream of saying certain things. But... Some people still feel it's okay to comment on people's weight and call people out on their weight, don't they? Yeah, the one we, we still exist with an issue of obesity being the one form of discrimination and stigma that's accepted. So on a day-to-day -day basis, you wouldn't you will not hear gender-related jokes on the radio anymore. You would not hear racist jokes on the me, on the media anymore. You would not hear sexuality ch challenging identity and sexuality on the media anymore. But you will on a daily basis hear jokes about fat people. You know, those are completely still acceptable. And it is, it is incredible that we exist in a world that has accepted a whole range of, or not accepted a whole range of discrimination, but still allows another form. And it allows a form that's relevant to 70% of the population. And that's the most worrying thing. It has such a profound impact on the lives of 70% of our adults and 30% of our children. It just, for me, beggars belief that we are still here with this mindset that it's acceptable. It seems like there's so much work still to do, but if you could change one thing in your area of research, what would it be? The, the one big thing that we can change is realising that there isn't one big thing, that the big thing is a, is, a, is, a, is a multitude of factors is the big thing. It's not one thing within. And, it, that, and that's why I struggle with this sort of concept of, you know, we're, we're all about sugar. That's all we hear about, the epidemic of childhood obesity is to, to sugar. It's not. Sugar's part of the equation, but then there's several hundred of the driving variables that may vary between a whole range of individuals. So to just think that there's one thing is, is, is in my mind, um, quite narrow thinking, and we need a much more holistic perspective about this. And that's hard because that requires individuals to work together. 
So my, you know, my sort of development has been about how do I bring people together rather than how do I find that singular solution. That's where my career started. But really where I am now is how do I bring the key experts together to deliver a more comprehensive approach, which is why our business school are brilliant at this. You know, it's why our built environment school, you know, all our different schools within our institution are, could all be very strong actors to this one agenda. Uh, and, and for me, that's a real positive opportunity. So, can you tell me a little bit more about how you use your research in a practical way? So, so I work as a professor at the university, but I also run a, a subsidiary company uh, owned by the university, to, which really puts our theory into practice. So it's an organisation called More Life, and we work with local authorities, we work with clinical commissioning groups, we work with companies, we work with a whole range of different agents um, and bigger government agencies to really try and sort of contribute sort of or translate that theory into practice so more life does deliver services to individuals and we use that as a learning environment we'll use it to do our research that's where we work with thousands and thousands of people so one of our services in suffolk over the last two years we worked thirty-five thousand people and i've got my academic colleagues working with that data trying to learn and develop and evolve new thinking new theories and new work but we're out there delivering for the community. So it's a really nice mix of theory into practice through the delivery of more life. And it has, for me, it has all the essence of really what a good progressive applied uh, research focused university is all about. It is that theory into practice, but the scale of that impact now is into the tens of thousands of shaping people's lives. And I think that's a really positive contribution as part of my role here as an academic at the university. And what about the practical impact that More Life has had? Can you tell me a little bit more about that, please? Over the last decade, we've seen a massive impact in the cuts. The cuts have had a dramatic impact in how services are delivered. And through our expertise, what we've been able to do is continue to deliver the best impacts we can for the resources that are there. And so, you know, what we've done is, despite a 40% cut in the money that we get, we've seen a very marginal reduction in the in the quality of our outcomes, if you like. So we've, we've been able to do more uh, for less. And I think that is, is testimony to the sort of research and approach that we've taken about how do, we, how do we become more efficient? How do we still get the same outcomes, but with better use of resources? How do we use digital better? How do we use our training better? How do we make sure we maximize the contact we have with the clients we're working with in the most productive way? Because the money won't, it, you know, it's not an unlimited pot of money and it's a shrinking budget, but to still have the direct impact on those individuals' lives for us has really been about, you know, how do we get the best economic impact out of the resources that we have? And so, so for me, that is the mixture of theory and, 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 and utilisation of really strong research to deliver the best sort of practical tools for the people that we're commissioned to deliver services to. It must feel really positive to have this impact on people's lives. It's really, it does feel really positive. It feels really positive and it feels really frustrating because there's many more people out there with these problems. And I think that's the, that's the frustration is we have a solution. We see direct impacts in shape, shaping people's behaviours. You know, and that's why we use the term more life because we, we believe and they tell us that we give them more life. It, in, in, in that way, that's the essence of what we're trying to achieve. So we do that with individuals. And, and, and with 35,000 individuals we work with in one contract in the last two years, 
areas. But we've had to do that with a shrinking budget because health is not a priority at the moment. And so, so for me, that's the rewarding bit that we still maintain that quality of service outcome, even when the environment's been challenging. If the environment wasn't so challenging, we'd be able to help more people. And I think that is the bit that frustrates me too. Do you feel that this issue doesn't get the resources that it needs? So for me, in the, in the last sort of decade, I've translated my mindset from working with individuals to trying to scale that up. And what you begin to appreciate is sort of political attitudes are important. So we've had, we've had, the, we've had austerity and they are largely driven by political views and perspectives that then are implemented in a, to a local government. And in essence, that's sort of the, the budget has been cut. Now, for me, that's a short-term mentality because actually what we know is public health is a massive return on investment further down the line. But if you're a, if you're a political party and you want to get re-elected, actually cutting the things that are going to have an impact in 20 or 30 years uh, are the things that you would do. It's logical to do that because you don't have to worry about what's going to be. You're not, you're not in politics in 20 or 30 years. So you make those shorter term decisions. And that's the challenge for me is how do we get out of that cycle in order that we keep prevention at the heart of what we do for our, our good public health? Because that will save money in the long term. And so for me, a lot of the work that I've been doing more recently is, is understanding and then trying to shift that mindset. And we hear it all the time. We hear from the NHS about how they want to do more prevention. The work that we're doing will continue to have, I believe, and I hope, greater importance as we move forward. And that's where I see the links with the university, because as an academic institution, being progressive and being ready and enabling change is part of really what we do. And so, so for me, it's being able to sort of take that narrative of prevention and change, but provide the solutions over the next 5, 10, 20 years. And we'll do that not just through our programmes, but through our students and through the sort of impact that they have. And do you think that's because this issue needs more long-term planning and goals and that works against it? Oh, certainly the, the long-term agenda is something that, that goes against the problems that we face now because the world is always constantly changing. And, and in essence, our work is about how do you respond to that change in a predictive way and that challenges academic thinking because academic thinking is about systemizing and organizing structuring but actually a new mentality of appreciating the system is changing is a lot of the work we've been doing more recently our sort of whole systems approach to obesity which is a is a public health england program that we've been running is all about that sort of rich mix of factors and how do we how do we think in a preventative mindset when there's a shrinking budget is all part of that that conundrum Thank you so much, Professor Paul Gately. A really relevant issue for a lot of people. We appreciate you coming and speaking to us about it. The Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday. So don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week. Today, Leeds Beckett Research Community is delivering innovative, multidisciplinary research, helping to address some of the most pressing challenges we face today. Across a range of disciplines, our researchers are striving to improve quality of life, equality and the environment around us. We are dedicated to making a difference and our research pages showcase the real-world impact taking place at the university. You can find out more at leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash transform. And if you've enjoyed hearing about the research at Leeds Beckett University, subscribe to our channel and listen out for more of our Beckett Talks research podcasts.